So, again, we're highlighting, we're featuring seniors this morning. And um, this is just an honor to be able to feature you today. So we're going to do that. Um, Christmas, it's a busy time of the year, isn't it? How many of you, though, I want you to raise your hand and keep them raised if, if you agree with this. How many of you um, really like Christmas? You like Christmas? Okay, most of you. All right, a few Grinches in here. Okay. Um, how, many of you, how many of you like the Christmas, all the different music, the Christmas songs, Christmas music? All right, that's cool. How about the food, the food at Christmas time? The, food, the food's kind of fun, isn't it? How about giving gifts and receiving gifts? No, okay, a little bit. How about you, you like when your family comes to visit you? And you love it when they leave? Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty universal, isn't it? Um, it it's, it's a rush time of the year, isn't it? It, it's, it seems to be a lot of hustle and bustle. There's a lot of rushing that takes place. Well, what's so interesting about our, our story today is we're going to highlight in the text two different senior adults. And what the Bible doesn't do in the Gospel of Luke is the Bible does not rush through this. Now, we're all rushing. I'm rushing. You're rushing. We're all busy. We're all scurrying in a hurry. But what's so interesting about this story is the most powerful man in all of Jerusalem is only a footnote in this Gospel of Luke. Now, Matthew gets a little bit more attention because Matthew's written to a Jewish audience. But in the Gospel of Luke... They rush past the most powerful man in all of Israel. And there are three ceremonies in this chapter we're going to look at. And in the Old Testament, it goes into great length and great details in Leviticus and Exodus and Deuteronomy. It goes into great detail describing and defining all three of these amazing ceremonies. In the Gospel of Luke, we rush through it. We just just rush through it. And so what I'm kind of stoked about today is every Christmas, I rush through this. And today, we're not rushing. Today, we're going to camp out. Take a deep breath. Go, ah. That's the first deep breath you've had in eight days, isn't it? We're not going to rush through this because there are two senior adults that just get highlighted, and it happens at Christmas, but it doesn't happen at Christmas. Jesus is not on Jesus' exact birthday. One story takes place eight days old. One story takes place at 40 days old. So we're going to camp out on this. Now, why does it rush past the most powerful man in all of Jerusalem? I think this is interesting. Uh, Herod, he called himself Herod the Great, by the way. He wasn't just Herod. Who are you? I am Herod. I'm Herod the Great One. I don't know. I just think that's funny. You know, he calls himself the Great. I mean, that's like calling yourself the Great, you know, or Muhammad Ali. I'm the greatest. But anyway, who are you? I'm Herod. No, I'm Herod the Great. So we got Herod the Great, and he's paranoid. He's a senior also. He's 69 years old. Tremendous medical problems. He has liver problems. Bill O'Reilly writes about this. Stephen Mansfield writes about this. He has liver problems, lung problems. Uh, He has gonorrhea. Uh, He is in trouble medically. He's also incredibly paranoid. He He had 10 wives, and his favorite wife, Miriam, uh, he thought she was going to poison him so that the, that son could become king. So he just, she done. You know, so he had 10 wives and he starts ex- executing wives. At the time of this story in Luke chapter 2, two of his sons have been executed, Alexander and Aristobulus. And Alexander and Aristobulus were probably just, you know, hey, wonder what would it be like to be king? And he, he's, he freaks out. So here's the most powerful man in all of Jerusalem 
who wanted to kill the baby Jesus, who killed a whole lot of baby boys, right? We know that story. And now the irony is Joseph and Mary show up in the temple courts not 600 yards from Herod's palace. Herod's palace, from where they are, is less than 600 yards. And yet the story just kind of rushes right past him. Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, said, it's better to be Herod's pig than it is to be one of his sons. Because he just killed him. All right? And then the story rushes by three ceremonies. One is circumcision on the eighth day. And then on the 40th day, there was two other ceremonies that took place. One ceremony was the redemption of the firstborn. And the other ceremony was the purification of the child. And so this purification thing on the 40th day uh, for males, and it's kind of interesting, if you, if you gave birth to a female, women, if you gave birth to a girl, you had purification for 80 days. If you gave birth to a boy, you had pur- pur- purification for 40 days. I don't know why. I guess maybe anticipation of more drama. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. But regardless, one was for 40 days, one was for 80 days. So we rush past the ceremonies. Leviticus goes into great detail. Exodus goes into great detail. Deuteronomy tells about the, and we just rush past them, but we camp out. We camp out on two senior adults. Why? So here's the story. Luke chapter 2, verse 21 says this. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child... He was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Now, from verse 21 to verse 22, we fast forward 32 days. Don't miss this. We go from now, eighth day, Jesus is eight days old, to now Jesus is 40 days old. Look at the very next verse. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, we're just going to skip that. Luke's going to skip it. Luke's going to rush right by it. Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. This is what you did. On the 40th day, you took the boy to the temple and you offered a sin offering and you offered a burnt offering. And it's a very extensive ceremony. We don't get any of that in Luke. We get all of that in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and in Exodus, which I think is very interesting. The next verse. As is written the law of the Lord, every firstborn male. That's the third ceremony. Ceremony number one was circumcision on the eighth day. Ceremony number two is on the 40th day purification to the mom. Ceremony number three, though, is the redemption of the firstborn. The firstborn always belonged to the Lord, and there was this extensive redemption ceremony. We don't get any of that from Luke. He just rushes by all that. Look at verse 24. And to offer, an, and offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or young pigeons. Now, that was if you were poor medium level income and higher level income on this 40th day, you had to offer a lamb, which was a chunk of change. Jesus's parents were poor, and so they didn't have that. So if you were poor, you could offer a pair of turtle doves or a pair of pigeons, which was really penance, not much money at all. Look at the next verse, verse 25. Now here's our two senior adults. Here's our first one. You ready? We're going to camp out on this one. Here's the first one. His name is Simeon. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, Now, here's what we know about him. He was righteous, he was devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? That means when the Messiah would come. They'd been waiting for the Messiah for thousands and thousands of years, and this guy had an inside information. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit 
was on him. Now, this didn't happen very often in the Old Testament. We as New Testament believers, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, but in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit only showed up sporadically to certain people. But the Holy Spirit was on him. Go to the next one. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die. He's an old man, but he's not going to die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Can you imagine the perk this old guy got? I'm going to experience the Messiah. The Holy Spirit revealed to him, you will not die until you've seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple court. So on the 40th day, when Mary and Joseph are showing up, and, and, and old Herod's only 600 yards away, here comes this guy named Simeon, moved by the Holy Spirit into the temple courts. Because the Spirit of God says, go to the temple courts. Something's about to happen. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom, this is all it says, it rushes past, it rushes past the redemption, it rush, rushes past um, the ceremonial cleansing, to do what the, child, what the law required. Look at the next verse. Simeon took him in his arms. So here's Mary and Joseph. They come to offer a pair of turtle doves or some pigeons, and Simeon grabs the baby, grabs the baby Jesus. How old is he? How old is he? He's 40 days old. You're quick. You're really quick. He's 40 days old, and he just lifts up his eyes to the Lord, and he begins to pray to the Lord. Now, if you're Mary and Joseph, I don't think they fully understood what was happening here. Simeon took him in his arms, and he praised God, saying this, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. If you're Mary and Joseph, the guy's going to die holding my son? What's going on here? They don't understand this. Look at the next verse. For my eyes have seen your salvation. And then this verse is just great. Which you prepared in the sight of all the nations. So here in the great city of Jerusalem where there's international trade, international travel, in the light of this incredible major city, now in Jerusalem, you have prepared this in the sight of all these nations. Now look what happens next. It's a light for revelation to the Gentiles. This is brand spanking new. If you're Mary and Joseph, you don't have a clue what this means because the Jews are the chosen people. And the Messiah is for the Jew. And now you've got Simeon telling us, as he's holding our baby boy, that now all the Gentiles get included. Everybody. He will be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And everybody in this room is non-Jewish, which is most of us. We're awfully glad that prophecy's in the book. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. What an amazing story. So how did their parents respond? Look at this. The child's father and mother, they marveled. Well, you bet they did. This was brand spanking new. Every, our son, our boy. Well, I know what the angel Gabriel said to us, you know, a year ago, but oh my gosh. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Look at the next verse. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. And you and I see that. We've seen that for the last 2,000 years. There have been Jews who have become Messianic Jews, who become Christians. And there are Jews today who still struggle and wrestle, still looking for the Messiah. 
One of my friends in Memphis, Tennessee, his name is Arnold Wexler. He was born in the Bronx, Bronx, New York. And Arnold Wexler is a New York Jew. And he started coming to our church when we were back in Memphis a long time ago. Today, he is the chairman of the elders of that church in Memphis. And it's just really cool to see that. And he's struggling with his family, trying to get his family to accept Yeshua, Jesus, as, as, the, as the Messiah. Simeon prophesied this. This child is destined to cause the fall and the rising of many in Israel to be a sign that will be spoken against. Oh, my goodness. Look at the next verse. Now, here's the second one. Here's the second senior adult. We got two seniors in, in this story. The first one is Simeon, okay? And here's the second one. This is a, a woman. We know a few more details about her. Her name is Anna. All right, let's go ahead. There we go. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. And I like this next little verse. It says, she was very old. I just think that's funny. Why, why didn't you say, she's aging, you know, or she's maturing? No, the Bible says, she was an old woman. She was very old. And she lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then was a widow until she was 84. So she's an 84-year-old lady. And she never left the temple courts but worshiped night and day. I, I don't think that means she slept in the temple courts. I think that means that she was there, a part of the temple courts, coming and going. Denise and I and Ron and Shirley, we were uh, friends of ours at our church. We were at the Wailing Wall at about 1030 at night. And there were thousands and thousands of young uh, students and college people and adults, thousands all around the Wailing Wall. So I think that means like at night she was coming into the temple courts and she was still praying. But she never left the temple courts. But she worshiped night and day, fasting, and she was praying. So here's what happens. Coming up to them at that very moment, coming up to Mary and Joseph, coming right up to old Simeon, she gave thanks to God, and she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. What does that mean? It means God's going to buy you back to the redemption of Israel. Verse 39. Well, that's the last one in that section. All right, that's, that's good for that. Let me ask you a couple questions. H how will you measure your life? When, when it's all said and done, and everything's got to go back in the box... Right? How will you measure your life? Because all of us have a measuring yard. We all have yardsticks. Everybody in the room, we measure our life. How, how will you and what will you use to measure your life? Now, the Pharisees, the Pharisees used religious duty. The Sadducees used political power and influence. The temple merchants used money. How, how will you measure your life? So today, people measure their lives through what? usefulness. They measure their lives through busyness. They measure their lives to maybe yours is adventure. You want to have a lot of adventures in your life. Will you measure your life through how much money you make? Will you measure your life through how much stuff you have? Will you measure your life through your relationships? The question is, is see, you already have a yardstick. How, how will you measure your life? And so the Pharisees thought it was like religious duty. I don't think any of us in the room are all that excited about religious duties, are we? 
I mean, I'm inviting people to church. They don't really know me very well. They know of me. And I'll say, hey, come to Harborside. We'd love to have you come to church. It's kind of a new church, different church. You know, you're welcome there. Got lots of students and kids and great children's program, teenagers, blah, blah, blah. And the first thing they'll say to me is, well, your name again is, and I'll tell them. And they'll say, "Um, well, I'm not very religious. And I'll say, well, I'm not either. And they go, but you're the pastor. I said, yeah. I'm passionate about Jesus passionate about Jesus Christ, but I'm not very religious. And I then explain about how we're all about a relationship. So I I don't think you are here today because you want to measure your life through religion. I think think you already passed all that. I'm all for politics, and I'm all for our government and branches of government and our constitution, and I think we should be involved. I think we should vote. But I certainly wouldn't measure my life by politics, would you? Especially not right now, for goodness sakes. <laughs> That's just a joke, all right? I'm not going into that. I'm staying away from that, all right? I'm preaching the gospel. I'm not, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not on the soapbox. I, I, I don't know that I would measure my life like the temple merchants by income, but you need an income. You ought to have a great, I hope you have a greater income in 2015 than you do in 2014. You need to work hard. I hope you have a great income. But I, I don't know if you want to measure your life by an income, I, I've done north of 500 funerals in my life. I've, I've done at least 500 funerals. Nobody asks how much money does somebody make. Nobody asks their net worth. No, nobody asks where did they work. But you know what they ask? They want to know, did, did she make peace with God? Did, did he make peace with God? And everybody, even if they're not a part of the church, or I mean, the person wasn't maybe well-known, they're, they're whispering that in their little groups, their little conversations. They're all whispering about whether or not that person ever gave their life to Christ. Well, they said they're in a better place, but I, I don't know. They never went to church. They want to know about, about your relationship with God. Secondly, at a funeral, what they want to know about, what they measure is how did you lean into your family? How's your family perceiving you? How'd your family receive you? At a funeral, everybody wants to know about family. And also at a funeral, thirdly, they want to know, did that person contribute somehow? Did that person make life better? How did they make life better? No, no, nobody measures the things that sometimes that we think are so important. So what did Anna do? Anna measured her life by her devotion to God. Simeon measured his life by trying to be devout and trying to be a righteous man. So what do we learn from that? We learned three quick things. If you're a note taker in your bulletin, I've got three quick fill-ins for you. Number one, we learned that devotion to God matters. We all know that. We, we all know that devotion to God matters. And so as a church, we're always trying to get you to press in just a little bit more with your relationship with God. That's what we try to do. We know that. Number two, we know this. Devotion to God is available to everyone. Simeon said to Mary and Joseph, this kid is going to be a light of revelation for the Gentiles. And aren't you glad that came true? That's us. And maybe a few of you are Jews in this room, and we welcome you. We're glad. But the rest of us are a bunch of Gentiles. It's available to everyone. And that's why Max Lucado's little quote is so good. God's grace is too good to be true, but it's too great to pass up. It's just too great to pass. It's too good to be true, but it's too great. Number three, devotion to God takes many outward forms, but it always starts inwardly. And that's why we're going to start the year off again with a fast. 
We're going to start off in January, so eat all your pumpkin pie and your pecan stuff right now and your cinnamon rolls or whatever. Get all that out of the way because we're going to start the year. Why? Because it's not about outward forms. It's what takes place inside your heart that makes all the difference in the world. And so we're going to start the year off because we all know that. We all know that our faith, I mean, I mean look at us today. We're all dressed up. I think everybody smells good, but some, something's going on down here because nobody's sat down here. So I, the rest of us in the room smell good. We, we look good. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but what, what's going on inside? We all know that devotion to God just takes place uh, in, internally. And that's what Anna and that's what Simeon had going for him. So seniors, I, we want to honor you today. This is way, way overdue. This is so overdue. Seniors, a lot of what we do around this church isn't for you. Our music, other than this morning, is usually not for you. Our programs are toward our children, and they're toward our students. They're toward our young adults. A lot of our programs are for outreach. A lot of our programs are to reach out to those who aren't yet believers. And yet you as senior adults, you're some of the most mature people in this room because you get it. You get it. You know what you've done, seniors? You, you've prayed for it. You've paid for it. You've proclaimed it. And you've practiced your faith for years and years and years. Think of how many prayers... The seniors in this room have offered up. How many grandsons and granddaughters and sons and daughters have come back to their faith and come to Christ because of the prayers that you've offered for the last 60 years? I can't imagine how many youth ministers you've kept out of the ditch because of your prayers. I can't imagine how the gospel has spread from Honduras to Japan to China because of your prayers, all the prayers of the saints. You've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and you've made such a difference and you continue to pray. And God hears your prayers because you pray from your heart. You're not just throwing some prayers up there. You're deeply groaning for God to make a difference. And you've paid for it. You've paid for the light bills, and you've paid for the... We've got air conditioning going on, I think, right now, for the electricity. You've done building programs. You've supported ministries and missionaries and children's ministries and children's curriculum. You've paid for it, and you've paid for it, and you still pay for it. You've been tithers, some of you, for 50 or 60 years. And even if you haven't made a lot of money... Can you imagine the cumulative amount of money that is over 50 or 60 years and the impact that that's had on the kingdom of God? You will never know until you get to glory. You'll never know your impact. And you continue to practice it. You practice your faith. And you've had heartache. You've lost children. You've lost spouses. You've lost businesses. You've gone bankrupt. You've had scars and scratches and, and stuff happen to you that, that some of us in this room could, could, cannot even imagine. And yet you're still loyal. You're still faithful. You're still honoring. You're still praising. And you're proclaiming the goodness of God to all the rest of us. You're standing tall because in your faithfulness, we see that you've been faithful through thick and through thin. Your faith has not been shaken by the tragedies that have occurred around you. You stand tall. You stand strong. This is way overdue. So we, we honor you. 
We honor you today. It is so easy to do this. You're the most mature people group in our church. Again, our music's not for you. You've told me that once or twice. (laughs) Maybe more than that. But anyway, you're here. And just like Anna and Simeon, you're still expecting God to do something great. Here's Anna and Simeon, these old people in the temple courts, and they're still waiting for the consolation of Israel. They're waiting for God to to do something. I I mentioned um, a couple of weeks ago that we're going to build a wedding chapel, and that I'm going to tell you about it, you know, in January, and we're going to start raising funds, you know, in March. And that's created a buzz. I've been asked more questions about the wedding chapel, I think, than about anything else. But it's been the seniors that have surprised me. I've had seniors ask me, is there a fund? Can we start, start donating to the like year-end giving? It's been the seniors who've asked me, when is it going? The answer is yes to that. I mean, you ask a preacher if there's a fund, we'll start one, right? If we don't have one, we're taught. How, we preachers know how to do that. We can take up an offering, right? So yes, there is. And if you want to do year-end giving toward the wedding chapel, just exactly. But my question was, why are seniors asking those questions? After about the third senior, I began to realize that seniors see the future. And they recognize the value of marriage. They recognize that if marriages in this country implode and blow up, that our family and our whole country is going to go down the tubes. Do you realize on that video, Hugh and Ethel have been married 60 years, and Ed and Betty have been married 62 years? That goes back to World War I if we added all those together. You just think about the value of marriage. They get it. And so, again, this is really, really well and way overdue. But I do have five suggestions for seniors. As you age, I want to give you five quick suggestions. They all come from Psalm 71. And Psalm 71 is for those of us that aren't quite there yet to understand seniors and for those of you that are seniors to look back. So we look forward and seniors look, look backwards. Here's five suggestions. Number one. Seniors, the psalmist encourages you to do this. Number one, I will remember with wonder and thanks the thousands of times I have leaned on you since my youth. You're still proclaiming it. Look at the verse that goes with that. Since my youth, God, you've taught me, and to this day I will declare your marvelous deeds. Suggestion number two, I will take refuge in you, Lord, rather than taking offense at my troubles. You heard troubles from Hugh and Ethel, and you heard troubles even from Ed and Betty. You heard their pain, troubles. Look at the verse that goes with this. In you, Lord, I've taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Suggestion number three. I will praise the Lord more as I age. I think we all know this. But as you, as, as you grow older, you either get better or bitter. Yeah? You get better or bitter. Look at the verse. It goes with that. As for me, I will always have hope. And I will praise you more and more and more and more. I'm not going to get bitter. As for me, I'm going to praise you more and more. I may have troubles, but I'm going to praise you more and more and more. Look at the last suggestion. I will pass on your greatness 
to the next generation. Isn't that cool? I will pass on to the next generation. I will pass your greatness to the next generation. Here's the verse that goes with that. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who come to me. Here's one more. I will count all my pain and troubles as a path to glory. Are the seniors going to have pain and troubles? What's the answer to that? Yeah, yeah. But here's the verse. Though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. The psalmist is expecting a resurrection of the dead to take place. I've told you some stories about my grandparents before. I had four amazing grandparents. My grandma and grandpa Brown, my dad's stepdad and mother, they lived in a mile, just a mile south of us. My grandma and grandpa Smith, my mom's parents, they lived a mile west of us. And I could ride my bike to both grandparents' houses, and I did all the time, and wore out two or three bikes, and I just... I was practically, I practically spent as much time in their homes as I did in our own home. Loved my grandparents. And even though I had wonderful experiences with my grandparents, my, my, if I'm honest with you, my grandparents were not spiritual leaders. My, my, my grandparents really didn't, like, there were no spiritual patriarchs, there were no spiritual matriarchs. If I'm really honest with it, they all went to church. They did the church thing, and you know, they loved God. And I think they're all saved. I really hope so. But, but really, there wasn't that, that, that leadership. There wasn't that, I'm going to stand up and stand out and, and be that spiritual patriarch or matriarch. So my one grandfather, my grandpa Smith, he retired from General Motors in 1966, and I was a six-year-old boy. And he loved everything I loved. I, he was the grandfather that taught me how to play. The other grandfather taught me how to work. And so the, the grandfather taught me how to play. He loved fishing. That's where I got my love for fishing from my grandfather. He loved shooting guns. We shot black powder. I'm a little boy, 10, 11 years old, and we're shooting black powder. And, and I, love, I love the smell of black powder. I love the fact that it stained my fingers for three days and my mom would be mad and it would never wash off. I love that. I love the black powder and the stains on my hands. And so, so this grandfather and grandmother started, kind of, started coming to our church. Now, I was 40. I'm sorry. I was 14. My dad was 40 when we became Christians. So now I'm about 14 and a half years old. I've been a Christian for about six months. And so this grandma and grandpa started coming to, to the, our church because our church was very much like this church, a non-denominational independent Christian church filled with young people, filled with a vision to reach children and youth the next generation. And so their church was cheesy and it wasn't very good. So, <laughs> so they, they liked our church and they, they started coming to our church. So my grandfather was the German. He was 100% German, strong German. I'm Kurt. I'm half German, 100% German. And he was like the strong, silent. He barely spoke. He didn't talk. But when he spoke, you, you listened. And I'll never forget this story. 
my grandfather has this conversation with me because two Sundays out of every month, we got into his car and we would drive to muzzleloader shoots all over the state of Indiana. It was a blast. We'd leave early in the morning. We'd shoot muzzleloaders till dark, come home at dark. As a kid, you know, this was the, the bomb as a kid. I love this. So my grandfather comes to me and he says, Kurt, you, uh, you got baptized about six months ago. And now two Sundays out of every month, you and I miss church. I don't think that's a good thing. I'm going to suggest that you and I go to the early service. I think I can talk your mother into skipping Sunday school. But we're going to go to the early service, and then we're going to go to these muzzleloader shoots, and we'll get there 11 o'clock or noon, but we'll have all afternoon. He said, Kurt, I think that's what we should do. What do you think? Wow, that's what we did. That was 40 years ago. I I can see that story as if it was four minutes ago. I can still see it and almost smell him at this time. It's an amazing story. Seniors, your impact is far greater than you could ever dream or imagine. Your impact on your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your impact on your children, your impact on your neighbors, the impact on the kids of this church is far greater than you could ever imagine. So rise up. Rise up with your spiritual leadership and leverage it for the kingdom of God. I got one more thing I want to do, and that is I want to I have you stand up in this order as seniors. The rest of us are going to be seated. But we want to honor you as seniors today. And I'm going to start with the last category and move this direction. Anybody in the room 90, in their 90s, well, anybody in their 90s, please stand up. It's somebody 92 in first service. Is there anybody in the room in their 90s? Okay. How about 80s? Anybody in the room in their 80s, please stand up. Anybody in the room 80s, stand up. Stand up. Stand up. And stay standing. Stand up. Now, stay, stay standing. If those of you in the 80s, stay standing, Okay. 70s. Anybody in the 70s? Oh, stay standing, sir, if you would. Stay standing up. Okay. 70s, stand up, if you would. Some of you don't like this, but if you're in your 60s, stand up as well. I want those in the 60s to stand up as well. Stay standing. And we're going to pray over you. If you would, stay standing. We're going to pray over you. I'm going to pray over you. Father, what a blessing these wonderful saints are. They've prayed. They've proclaimed. They've practiced. They've paid. Thank you for the seniors in this room. Thank you for that. Oh, Father God, may the favor of the Lord rest upon them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen rest of us stand up as well. And I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down front. And if you're a senior and you've never given your life to Jesus, what in the world are you waiting on? Let's get her done today. If you're a senior and you've never given your life to Christ, I'm going to encourage you to come down to our wonderful prayer partners and receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and the Savior of your life. And again, this was way, way, way overdue. God bless you. Have a great day. See you soon.